is you got to understand how we got to where we got to understand like what's going to happen next. Reading texts that are like 2,000 years old. And it's wild when you do that because you realize like we haven't changed at all. Some of the greatest lessons that I brought into my time as a operations officer and executive officer, I learned about from a polar expedition that happened in 1911. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sandisbert of the Combat Capabilities Development Command's Armament Center within Army Futures Command, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Joe Byerly, founder and director of From the Green Notebook. Joe has a wealth of experience as a special advisor to senior Army and military leaders, and will be talking to us today about leader development, taking ownership of your career, and reading as a tool to think about the future. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. So we're really excited to have Joe on today. We're going to talk about reading about the future. So, Joe, your background is in uh, SOCOM and the big army as being a part of the commander's action group. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? What was your job like and what does that all entail for our listeners? Yeah, Luke, that's a, that's a really good question. And without going into specifics, really, it's about executive communications is what it all boils down to. Commanders at the three and four star level, they get just inundated with with information. And so our job in those roles is to help boil that down into what's actually digestible for them and to kind of help them communicate out, not just within the enterprise, but but outside the enterprise as well. So it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of writing, which is which is in my my wheelhouse as a uh, as a blogger on the side. And it's really great because you get to spend a lot of time with, with like a buddy of mine, actually, he said, it's like getting a PhD in leadership uh, because you get to, you get to be in the room for, you know, critical conversations with, with senior leaders in the military and um, in national security. And you get to, you get to synthesize that. And, you know, you, it's everything from taking notes to, to drafting emails and so it, it was just really, for me, um, I did it for, for the last two years. And it was just a, a remarkable experience and learning how to communicate at the three and four star level and helping those, those leaders communicate within the enterprise as well, because you're, you're with them all the time. And, and a lot of people don't get the access that you do in those positions. And so a lot of it's just going around and talking to members of the staff and making sure they're on the same sheet of music as the, uh, as the general officer. So it was just a, it was a short period of my career, but uh, it, was, it was awesome nonetheless. No, that's really interesting. And you've had some pretty unique experiences. So recently, from what I hear, you went through what's called kind of a battalion commander combine. Can you tell us kind of what that experience is all about? And what do you really think that means for the future of how we select leaders, especially combat leaders? First of all, I don't know the results yet. So by the time you release this episode, like if things don't work out in my favor, like it just may be really awkward. 
um, from here on out. But it's a really unique experience because, you know, in the past, the way we selected and promoted leaders was based off um, officer evaluation reports. And, you know, that's just only like one side of of a three-dimensional picture of an individual and, and now you're, you're doing cognitive tests, uh, you're getting feedback from peers, you're getting feedback from subordinates. And it's honestly like it's a nerve wracking thing because as soon as you, you know, find out you're selected for BCAP, you know that they're sending out questionnaires to people that have worked for you in the past and people that have worked with you. And then you start going, like at least in my, my case, I started thinking about every interaction I've ever had. And you really start thinking about what are my strengths and weaknesses? And not only that, but like, how do others see me as, as a, as a leader? And like, am I somebody who, you know, previous subordinates and previous peers, like they want to see move, move to the next level in the army. And so as, as for, for me, at least, as soon as I found out I was selected to go to BCAP, it just like, it just, I just launched into a lot of self-reflection and, you know, sometimes just going down mental rabbit holes of like, Oh my God, like I did this like five years ago. Like did, you know, is that going to come back and haunt me in this? I borrowed that guy's coffee cup and I forgot to give it back. Exactly. Exactly. And so now the guy whose coffee cup I'm sitting here drinking from, as I'm thinking about how BCAP's going to turn out, this guy's just going to say I was a horrible peer. And, you know, when you actually go through for me, it was all about reflection and, and just going through the process of, of thinking about um, how, how I am as a leader, what my strengths, what my weaknesses are. And then the, the best part about BCAP is, is at the end of it. So regardless of whether or not I'm selected to be a future battalion commander, I got to hear what my strengths and weaknesses were, how I did on the, on the cognitive test I received, and what my subordinates and uh, you know, previous subordinates and peers said about me in these surveys. And, and from that, you know, I can either take that and, and grow from it, or I can just be like, oh, whatever. Um, but, you know, for me personally, it's, it's definitely something I want to grow from. And, and so, you know, we, we talk all the time in the military about mission first uh, people always. And I, I think what BCAP is going to do is it's going to force uh, people to care more about people. Um, I've, I've worked for several leaders who it was more about the mission. And in some, some respects, I feel like it was more about them and how they looked than like how we were taken care of. And so I think it's going to identify those leaders and it's going to help people be just better people. I just think as across the board, it's just going to help people grow and, and be better leaders. Absolutely. I, I like the sound of the process. And uh, of course, I have to ask then with that downtime, were you reading at all? And what were you reading? Oh, man. Yeah. I, uh, I think I was an overachiever during um, BCAP. I brought six books with me. So I brought uh, James Rom's Dying Every Day, Seneca at the Court of Nero. If you're not familiar with it, um, Seneca was the tutor of a young adolescent Nero, and he thought that if he could teach him virtue, that he was going to be able to keep Nero in the box. And what he found out was that that wasn't the case. But in the process, as Nero became more powerful and not really a good person, Seneca saw himself changing as well. And uh, Seneca didn't always make the right choices. He was a great writer and, and doled out amazing advice. Um, but he also did some very questionable things. 
And so the, the book kind of follows that. Um, also uh, a biography on Cicero. Um, Cause I, I just recently came across some stuff of him. So I was, I was interested the philosophical fighter pilot. It's a, a collection of essays and speeches by James Stockdale who discovered stoicism prior to deploying to Vietnam. And then he found himself as a prisoner of war for eight years. And he learned a lot about himself and he leaned on stoicism in the process to, uh, to help him through that experience. And then finally I brought, uh, Oh no, there's two more. I'm sorry. I told you, and I was overachiever. I got a, uh, I got a pre-read copy of Tom Rick's first principles about the, uh, the founding fathers and how they relied on uh, ancient Greek and Roman texts to inform their understanding of, of what a democracy should look like and how that, that fed into the founding of our country. And then finally, Robert Caro's uh, The Power Broker about Robert Moses and the role that he played in the, in the building of New York. I, I think I read about five pages in each of those over the course of, uh, of BCAP. Okay, so no book reports at the end of that one. <laughs> you know, I wanted to bring that up too because it's a good segue to from the Green Notebook. You know, I became more aware of your writing and, and everything else because I started following it. Big fan of, of the book lists that have come out and, and trying to gain my own knowledge through through that kind of learning. Um, what can you tell our audience about from the Green Notebook? What inspired you to start this? And really, what kind of impact have you seen it make in the Army and, and, and really beyond? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Luke. So from the Green Notebook, I, I, I started it in 2013. And I started it after I had this amazing opportunity to work for uh, then Major General H.R. McMaster, and he wanted to create a self-study program for maneuver leaders, which was essentially a reading list um, on various topics like the future of war, on strategy, on military leadership. And he wanted to create a website where you could go to to find this reading and you know just kind of use it as almost like an online syllabus and, and, and have discussion and all that. But we were building it off of an army system and the tools the army was going to give us. And it was amazing how much red tape um, we had to, to just to face to build the website. You would have thought we were trying to build a new tank or a new fighter jet uh, just because of red tape left and right to get this website. So we finally got it off the ground and it only lasted a couple of CGs past uh, General McMaster. And then eventually it was handed off to a contractor. And then eventually his contract was cut. And then the entire website was taken down. I, I just remember going through this process being like, man, if, if I just didn't have the constraints of the army sitting on top of me, like I could build the website that he wants. And I could build the website that I think, you know, would be useful to me as, as a young captain and, and a future field grade officer. And so I, at the same time, I started coming into contact with a bunch of folks um, like Nathan Finney and, uh, and BJ Armstrong from the Navy, Ben Coleman from the Navy and Rich Gansky from the Air Force, who all had their own blogs and were doing like it just kind of modeled um, that, that you can go out and do this yourself. And so I you know, got the domain off uh, WordPress. You know, the, the blog was originally called something else. And then the name was so stupid. I didn't have the foresight to say, hey, maybe this will go beyond a couple months. And so I changed it to, to From the Green Notebook on this idea that it was a place that I could share lessons from, from my notebook with people. And eventually it started out as my own blog, but then as I got busier and busier in the Army as an operations officer and executive officer, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have friends who wanted to write as well. 
they started uh, writing for it. And the next thing I know, it was, it wasn't my blog anymore. It was, it belonged to the profession and, and more people were writing people from all over the world were submitting articles. So then I, I started growing the team. I brought on Megan Yantos, Cassie Crosby and Gary Klein. And then now we've expanded it to Josh Bowen, Valerie Nostrant and um, Connor Collins. And then with our podcast, Jacob Gronsky. And so it's just been, it's just amazing to, to see. And you're talking about the reach, like the reach is crazy. So as of today, it's like 2.5 million views on the website since we got started. And I think it's like 1.5 million, you know, different users. And I get emails from all over the world, people giving me book recommendations and not just in the military. Like that's the crazy thing. Um, like somebody from a United Kingdom Oceanographic Society sent me some book recommendations the other day. And then I even had a captain from the Portuguese military reach out to me yesterday and ask for some advice before taking command. I've just been amazed at, at the reach of the website and the reach of the blog and just really proud to, to be a part of it. And so it's, uh, it, it's just been, it's just been awesome. And then I get opportunities like this to talk to you guys. No, that's, that's phenomenal. And I, I, I get to see the reach of that blog all the time. Um, just from the various, you know, what I consider to be thought leaders, uh, who talk about it. And, uh, we're, we're familiar with the reach Our One of our finalists for our sci-fi writing contest was an Australian school teacher. So, you know, it's, you, you get some of the amazing ideas and inspiration from all over the place. Yeah, it's great. And I want to say, first of all, like you guys have done an amazing job working within the army system to, to grow the mad scientist project through my previous jobs where I worked at. I know you guys have hosted conferences that, that I've tried to get into that I couldn't get into. So, um, <laughs> Especially in the DC area, we, we <laughs> get standing room only. Uh, we're going to take the next 20 minutes to let Joe talk about how great the army man scientist is. So <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that, that was fantastic. Thank you. And, and so, you know, one of the things I think about a lot, you've, you put a ton of emphasis as I've read through, you know, the, the monthly newsletters and everything else, using reading to learn and develop as a leader and, and how important that is. And I think we're actually on the precipice right now. We're, we're in a changing army, really a changing entire uh, U.S. military force. And we're seeing emerging technologies, disruptive technologies becoming a huge part of that. There's more demand for data science than there probably is for what you would consider army skills. And so what do you think leaders, future leaders need to be focusing on when they're thinking about reading? I think there's two components to that. Uh, I'll say first, in his latest book, Battlegrounds, um, H.R. McMaster says, you got to understand how we got to where we got to understand like what's going to happen next, how the past produced the present to start thinking through like how the current forces in the present could combine to create the future. So I, I think that's one. So I think like reading about the past and just kind of understanding and that that's just everything. It's from energy. It's from economics. It's, um, you know, just, just human behavior. And then, you know, one of the things that, you know, since you talked about the reading list, I've really done a deep dive in, in this past year is the classics, uh, reading, reading texts that are like 2000 years old. And it's, it's wild when you do that because you realize like we haven't changed at all. Like we're still complaining about the same things that people complained about 2000 years ago. Like there's a, I think it was Epictetus actually, you know, he was, he, he was teaching one of his classes. He's like, you need to quit worrying about what the emperor is going to do and start worrying about what you're going to do. 
And, you know, like we see that today in the social media culture, like everybody gets so wound up about stuff that's happening that's outside of our control. Same guy like writes about how back then, you know, like a, it was a really big deal for people to have Nubian horse riders ride in front of their their carriage when they were going from one place to another. It was like a status symbol. It was like a, a Mercedes or a Lexus. And so, you know, and he, and he says, it's like, as soon as a lo- enough people have Nubian riders in front of their carriages, then it's not going to be cool anymore. And like, you know, you, you see the same thing happening today. So I think just kind of understanding human nature, because, you know, you've got the character of war and you've got the nature of war. You've got those those things that don't change. And it's just like human behavior. There's a lot of stuff that we do that, that, that stays the same. So I think reading about that is important. And then the second thing, which you guys really do a great job of promoting is, is reading science fiction. And there's, there's this great quote I love that, um, that General Dempsey wrote in Augustus Cole's War Stories from the Future. He wrote it in the Ford. He said, by provoking us to free our minds of constraint and convention, worthy science fiction allows us to create a mental laboratory of sorts. In this place, we can consider new problems we might face or contemplate novel ways to address old problems. It sparks the imagination, engenders flexible thinking, and invites us to explore challenges and opportunities we might otherwise overlook. So I, I think to, to kind of help us uh, think about the future, we can't just be stuck in, in how things unfolded in, in the past. Like we also have to add to that the possibilities that, that may happen. And, and I think that can only come about by reading science fiction and, and thinking through those those possibilities that are out there that we're not even thinking about right now. So I'm glad you brought those up because um, one of the things we do at Mad Scientist is we use historical analogy to try to explain the trends we're seeing or the technologies we're seeing. And as you said, we also use science fiction. So this is a bit of a non sequitur, though it is connected to what you just said. Um, I, I came across what at the time was being called the first science fiction book ever. It was supposedly written in the second century AD, um, something like that. It was called, I think, A True Story. Um, and I had planned on, I thought this was the perfect mad scientist thing. I'll, I'll read this, I'll analyze it, I'll, I'll, I'll try to pull from it to see if there's anything that connects to the now. Um, I printed the whole thing out, it was like 500 pages, and then COVID hit, and I haven't been back to my office to get it, and so there it sits. But, but the point remains that, and I think you brought this up, there's so much we can learn from the past and so much we can use to adapt to the now to help us understand. And when we combine that with science fiction, it gives us that real world model for us to think about these things. And so in that vein, reading, as we said, is it's also a major component of forecasting and thinking about the future, which is, you know, what we primarily do. So what kinds of books do you think are best in this effort? Do we focus on tech? Do we focus on sci-fi books, economics, business? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think yes. That's the answer. Yes. To, to all those. I think it's about like, it's about connecting disparate things and bringing them together. You know, like there's a great story. I think that uh, Steve Jobs used to take calligraphy classes um, while he was designing the Mac and, and it helped, helped him think through like, like the design and the function of, of the operating system. And, and, you know, he, but he was able to pull that, you know, that calligraphy, like a handwriting class into technology. And, and I think it's the same for thinking about the future is just reading kind of a vast array of books and then starting to connect the dots to bring those together. And, and the reason why is, is there's a great essay by um, Dr. Corey Shockey. And I think it was a book review she did of Lawrence Friedman's The Future of War. It's, it was at War on the Rocks. 
is where she published it. And she just talks about how like one of the problems that we have is that when we think about the future, we just basically we take what's going on now and then project it into the future. And that's why we get it wrong every time. Like we don't unchain ourselves from the present. And, and again, and, and I think that's because we kind of just get stuck in this rigid thinking. And so I, I think like reading across like a vast number of subjects, you may find something that you can connect from, from book A to book M and, and it'll help you think through the future. And I, I, that's one of the benefits I've had working for senior leaders is that I feel like they've been able to kind of forecast the, like what was going to happen next um, because they were, their readings were in so many different genres and categories and different aspects of history and science fiction um, that they were able to kind of pull all those threads together and, and think through, you know, what could happen next. And that's at the operational and strategic level as well. Yeah, I think that's um, maybe a human limitation of ours. We tend to think about the future in a linear fashion. And that doesn't that doesn't really work. It doesn't work that way. But to your point, there's a saying, you know, travel broadens the mind. I think the same thing is true with what you said about reading. Reading from, you know, things outside of your norm or outside of your wheelhouse is going to broaden your mind creatively. Uh, you're going to be exposed to things you otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. And that that's important. Yeah. And like, like just, you know, for like, and it's not just, you know, theoretical, like, so you, you, I, and Luke can like sit around a coffee shop and stroke our beards and, and think through things like it's, it's practical too. You know, so, some of the greatest lessons that I brought into my time as, as a operations officer and executive officer, I learned about from a polar expedition that happened in 1911. Uh, you know, so so just taking those those ideas that are from completely different sectors and, and bringing those into the workplace, I think, just makes us all better better leaders and better people. So you mentioned War on the Rocks in your previous answer, and five years ago, you wrote a piece for them about harnessing social media for military power. And since that time, we've seen some general officers uh, emerge as significant influencers on social media. How do you think that space has changed over the last five years since you've written that? And what do you think leaders still need to do now to effectively utilize social media? So it, it was, it, it's a really good question and something I've been wrestling with. And I, I've started jotting down notes on something that, that I, I want to write about. I'm just trying to, and maybe as we, the three of us talk through this, I'll kind of solidify my thoughts a little bit better. But five years ago, there wasn't a lot of senior leaders on social media. It was it was very limited. And, you know, uh, a person that, that I know has interacted with, with your team a lot, Major General Mick Ryan, um, you know, I feel like he was kind of like the vanguard uh, of social media because he took it and, you know, he would tweet out articles. He would highlight professional development and he would share books he was reading. And I feel like he's the, still to, to this and he would interact with people like joke around. But I feel like to this day, he is still the gold standard. But, but since then, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people have gotten into the trap of, of chasing likes and retweets. And it, you know, we, we've gotten away from using social media as, as an opportunity to message. And I, I think a lot of people right now are kind of using it for the, the celebrity aspect of it. And, you know, I found that, you know, I, I thought I was making progress by tweeting everything from what I was reading to what I was thinking about writing um, to like the sandwich I had at lunch. 
And in the last, uh, you know, couple of years, and a lot of it I attribute to working in the special operations community, is that um, I tweet less, but I do more. And I'm still connecting with people on social media and making those professional connections. Uh, but, but I'm watching a lot of leaders right now, you know, just tweeting out just ridiculous things on, on social media. And there's really no professional rhyme or reason to it. You know, it's everything from this is what I just fed my dog to um, it, there's some other stuff out there. I'm, I'm not going to get too specific with it. So I think we, we've got a ways to go. But I, I think that as leaders get on that platform and, and feel the power of it, you know, it's the great philosopher, Peter Parker's uncle, Uncle Ben, right? He said, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that that's what we kind of need to, to go back to. And, and, you know, one of the things that Major General Ryan told me early on was that he like developed kind of his lane for social media and that's what he swims in and, and, and that's it. And I, I think that we just need to realize that. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in playing to the lowest denominator and just kind of using it as a, kind of using it as a platform to highlight ourselves and highlight, you know, just feed our egos when there's so many better, better things we can do with it. Yeah, I think those are great points. And I think um, there's, there's a lot for us to learn about how to how to use social media to our advantage in the army here. Um, Let's do a little thought experiment. Let's say I could give you 100 soldiers of your choosing tomorrow. What kind of people would you need or want? I would want people who have a love for learning. They, They just appreciate learning for the sake of learning because I I think that they'll be able to take those take those skills that they pick up along the way and uh and be able to transition those into action I also like people that have empathy that that can understand where other people are coming from you know the the ability to communicate well and then and then finally the ability to fight and win you know because that's that's what the military's here here for to begin with and so you know we we need people that can go out and and fight and, and win our, our war. So, you know, just off the top of my head, that that's what, uh, that's what I would throw back at you. Yeah. I, I think you ticked all the right boxes there, especially there's a couple that I'll, I'll harp on here. Um, I feel like I say this every few podcasts, but communication is the key in life, professional, personal communication is the, the one thing you need. It, it's the most important. I love it. Somebody, somebody once told me, they said, if, uh, if your people can't see your vision then it's called a hallucination. And so, um, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm stealing that now. That's a good one. <laughs> I stole it. Yeah. So I, I think, I think communication is key and, and that's one of the biggest things that I've taken away from blogging and now doing the podcast is just the importance of communication. I've got to see how it's played out in my last couple of jobs too. Uh, it, it's everything, no matter how good you are, if you can't communicate written or, uh, or orally, uh, then you're going to have some problems. And it's not easy. We, we're, we're learning that as we do this podcast. It's difficult to do well, I should say. Yes. Um, so last question before we transition to our, our rapid fire questions here. So let's say this is where you get to give some sage advice. You're talking to the future soldiers and leaders who are, you know, at this point in high school or middle school, or maybe even the younger ones in elementary. What advice do you give them and why should they want to join the future force? Yeah, I'd say like the, the biggest piece of advice I would give is that just to own your development. Um, I, I think for the longest time, at least at, coming up, you know, I expected my parents, my coaches, my teachers to do everything for me, to show me like what I needed to learn, you know, how, how to get better at a sport or, 
you know, how to apply for colleges and even what colleges to go to. And it wasn't until way later in life that I realized that nobody's going to do it for me, that I've got to take ownership of my development. And I think that's, that's the key piece of advice. And I think that, um, you know, the, the earlier people do that, they can take advantage of it, the better they're going to be, you know, coming into our military and just being, being adults in life. Love it. Love it. Now we're going to transition to our rapid fire questions, but really take as much time as you need. But uh, these are questions we ask all of our guests. And the first one is what technology keeps you up at night? Before the podcast, we were just talking about this before we got on, right? Like, um, so for, for the people listening, yeah, I just got back from Disney world and uh, I had to wear a mask the entire time. It's, it's 80 degrees. Um, you know, lines are stuffy. And I found that after like six, seven hours of, of walking all over the happiest place on earth, uh, that, that I was, I was short, I was ready to fight everybody and, and I wasn't happy. And so I think that, that any sort of technology that allows us to alter viruses, um, alter, alter DNA is going to have unforeseen effects that, that are going to have terrible ramifications. I, I think I read, one year that like it's just one modification of H1N6 and it the death rate's like 90%. And so, um, you know, we, we've seen how quickly a, a disease can become a pandemic um, in the future. So, so anything that, you know what, anything that requires me to wear a mask is, uh, is what I'll boil it down to. Um, is something that keeps me up at night now. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's quite frightening stuff. The second question we want to ask and what, what you're comfortable sharing on air is what's something about you that most people might not know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, we're just, we're just in the, in the trust tree on this one. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I wrestle, I wrestle with, uh, with self-doubt. Um, it's something that just like, it's, it's almost been crippling. Um, you know, throughout my, my adult life and, and military career. And so, you know, the, the, one of the things that I've found is, is writing has helped me kind of validate, you know, the ideas that I have by whether or not they get shared, whether or not it gets, you know, they get, they get well received. And so that is something that, that um, I continue to wrestle with and work on. And um, I, I've found that for me, like a great way for me to kind of, to kind of go through that is, is to write stuff down and to kind of, uh, to kind of examine some of the things I've done because I, you know, one of the things I've, I've said, I actually even said to myself one time was like, man, I, I, I don't write enough. Like I need to write more. And then a couple of years go by and I look back and I'm like, wow, I, I just published 50 articles in journals and magazines and the blog and that's a lot. And I need to, <laughs> I need to quiet that voice in my head. So that, that's something that I wrestle with. I just want to uh, throw some appreciation on that answer because we, we often tend to think that, well, no, the classic red blooded American in the military doesn't have that. You know, we're, we're too, we're too tough. We're too strong for that, but it affects everybody. Imposter syndrome is real and it doesn't matter who you are. So I appreciate that answer. And I appreciate what you said about writing and how it's helped you. Yeah. yeah and I got, 
I'm sorry, Luke, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we've had people come on and tell us they were, you know, secretly, it turns out, ballroom dancers and uh, competitive swimmers. And one person was on Nickelodeon uh, when they were a kid. But this is honestly the most the most open answer we've gotten. And I think it's really going to speak to a lot of people. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate it. Yeah, this, this is what happens when you come out of BCAP. <laughs> you, start, <laughs> you start getting very very introspective with yourself and it was really cool like uh th- this past week i was i was actually emailing back and forth and i was ta- having the same conversation with with stephen pressfield who is the author of gates of fire and um and the forthcoming book that comes out this march called man of man at arms and you know he said joe he's like shut up you know like in the email he's like he's like that's resistance talking and he's like, you just have to push through that. And so for anybody who is, uh, who wrestles with that, I would highly recommend his book, The War of Art, which just talks about this force resistance, which is self-doubt and all those things. It just kind of sits in the back of our minds that, that uh, you know, that, it just keeps us from being the best version of ourselves. So I, I appreciate that comment, Luke. Thank you. And so uh, to our final question, which we like to ask this one, because it really tells us uh, a lot about our guests. And uh, so what is your favorite movie? You know, the, the funny thing is, is when you read a lot of books, <laughs> you, uh, I, I, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I would say that they're like any, any of the Will Ferrell movies, like the, the other guys, the step as a stepfather, stepfather movies. Um, stepbrothers step, yeah stepbrother and, and the one that he was in with marky mark as uh i can't even think of the name of it daddy's home i think daddy's it was, home. yeah, yeah. Oh, man. that's like my christmas movie <laughs> which is uh you know so, so it's been um so anyway anything that has will ferrell i just like really appreciate his uh his comedy and like i just i will watch his movies time and time again those are those are easy rewatches too. It's enjoyable. Um, no, I thank you so much for coming on, Joe. This has been fantastic. It was is there anything else you'd love to tell our audience? Yeah, so you know, just you know, we're learning from you guys with, with the From the Green Notebook podcast. We just launched that a month ago, and it's it, it's doing really well. We just we're wrapping up the first season right now, and uh, and we've got some amazing guests uh, lined up for for season two. Also, you talked about, we talked a little bit about reading. You talked about the, the newsletter I put out. So if people could subscribe to the monthly reading list email, it's something that I love doing every month and just sharing what I'm reading. And it, it's like a writing prompt for me monthly to, to share my lessons learned. And then the, the one that we just launched a couple of weeks ago, uh, which, which is a Sunday email, which is something that, uh, that we just started putting out where it's a, a very short email it comes out every Sunday which is a quote and then a, a short reflection on that quote. And it could be from, from any of the books that I've read or, or other people have read throughout the years. So that's, um, that, that's what I would just ask folks to do is just to check out the podcast and to check out those newsletters. And of course, um, check out, check out from the green notebook. And I, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys today. Absolutely. And where uh, can they follow you at? Are you on Twitter? I am. I am. Um, I'm at jbarley81. I, I won't be tweeting about the sandwich I just had for lunch anymore or giving commentary <laughs> on the Grammys or the, the VMAs. Um, but but I, I will share, you know, like random quotes from books and, and stuff I'm reading. Uh, we're, we're also on Instagram at, at From the Green Notebook, which is just random pictures of book quotes. 
And then, um, and then we're also on uh, From the Green Notebook as well. We also have our own Twitter, which is uh, at FGGN Notebook. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure, Joe. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks, guys. I really appreciate this opportunity. It was an awesome, awesome conversation. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Joe Byerly of From the Green Notebook. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.